Hey, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you today. Thank you. And, uh, you know, if you've been with us here at Fellowship of Faith these past several weeks, we've been doing this thing called God Stories, where, where different individuals were coming here and standing on this platform and, and just sharing ways how, how they've been seeing God work in their own lives and from their perspective in the world around. If you were with us, we actually started, it feels like an eternity ago, way back July 1st with this. Remember this? If you were here, we had Keith Haney with us on that day to kick it off. And, and Keith was here just sharing for his, from his perspective what it's like being one of the few African-American pastors working in a predominantly white church body called the LCMS and, and, and the struggles of race that, that, that he sees both in the church and, and in, in, in the country and, and giving us that kind of window from his perspective. And it was followed week after week after week with others. We had Amy Kirsten with us who's been battling MS and, and it's going to take her life, um, barring a miracle of God and just sharing with us how she's found faith and hope and has seen God working in the midst of that. We had all these students who gathered here, who, who went to St. Louis and East St. Louis to, to do some mission work and, and, and shared with us just this, this, these amazing testimonies of how God showed up and, and oh, God was there, how they saw God there and describing the ways they saw God working in their life. And then it kept going. We had Alec Lancaster with us, who's a... a a physicist pursuing his PhD, just talking about the collision of both faith and science in his life. And we had the Browns with us talking about miscarriage and, 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 and what comes after. And last week, if you were with us, we had Jana Peters on the stage, and she was sharing from her perspective what God is doing in the special needs community and among special needs people and how those who are often thought is the least of these are truly in God's line of sight, indispensable. And today we're coming to the end of God's stories, and, well, you have to deal with me. Um, you're, you're getting mine today, and what I'm going to be sharing with you is just some reflections of, of what I think it means to follow Jesus in 2018. Now, I need a point of clarification on this maybe off the bat because, right, we're like August 2018 is over halfway done. But uh, a lot of you know this because it's, it's coming to terms in your life. The school year is like starting this week um, for many of us, and if not this week, soon thereafter. And so like the school year, Fellowship of Faith functions on a sort of school year, but it just felt really cumbersome to say, following Jesus in the 2018-19 school year. So we're just going to call it 2018. Is, is that okay? You know, a lot of times talks like these, when they come from a pastor or a church leader, what they really kind of hone in on is organizational hurdles that we are looking to make as we come into this next phase or next era of life together. So, so, so what do we see as the challenges facing our church? New ministries and programs we want to start as our church. Strategic moves we want to make. Things that we're discerning God doing on the horizon. Opportunities to take. And I'm here to tell you today that that stuff is important. It is important and it is essential and it needs to be talked about. 
But I want to talk to you about something else today instead. It's something that I think is more important to talk about. Something that transcends all of the organizational strategies and tactics and leaps you can make. Here's how I want to kind of enter into this. Last week, when we were on stage, Janet Peters was sitting in a stool here, and, and I was sitting over here, and she asked me a question. She did it only at 10.30, so, so if you're normally like 10.30 folk and you were here, you were part of this, and um, it wasn't scripted, it wasn't something we prepared ahead of time, but she asked the question as a very poignant way to kind of flush out a difference between the way special needs people often approach life and the rest of us do. And the question was this, Dave, what are your weaknesses? All right? Now, the question wasn't scripted, but I was prepared for it. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of churches. I actually do a lot of like, like consulting and interviews and stuff like that. I mean, this is kind of like standard HR question. What are your weaknesses? I have mastered answering this question well over 10 years ago. I am prepared for the question So tell me about your weaknesses, which if you think about it is a little warped, isn't it? That you have to prepare for a question like that. And this is what I answered her. Well, I mean, my weaknesses, Jana, are are obvious and they're obvious to everyone. I mean, I'm devastatingly handsome more than I should be. I'm wise beyond my years and and I've always struggled with humility. I I mean, it just, (laughs) you, you know, now why did I answer that way? It's because the answer is so obviously absurd that it elicits a laugh and therefore creates a connection between us and we can all kind of have some fun with it in the moment while simultaneously and successfully avoiding the actual question. What I want to do today is actually answer the question. What I want to do today is talk to you about what I perceive as my weaknesses, my sin issues, at least as I've seen them. I know I might be blind to other things, but the ones at least in my own reflection and and that have been reinforced from that reflection over time and from others. Just a a taste, a set of ones that I see. So, I don't know, maybe we start with this. You know this passage of Jesus um, comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. It's like the end of Matthew 5 or it's in Matthew 6. I, I, I don't care. It's the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where he says, do not worry. Right? You know this passage of Jesus? Do not worry. Do not worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, I couldn't agree with him more that each day has enough trouble of its own. But do not worry. Can I just ask you, has Jesus any, ever said anything more stupid than that? 
Do not worry. Are, 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 are you kidding? I'm here to tell you today that I have developed worry into an art form. The way that an artist can work with the mediums of oil or clay to produce something beautiful in their eyes, I can do with anxiety. It has been in my soul and has driven my life to varying degrees as long as I can remember. Some of the earliest memories in my life, which I thought were later, I came to find out were when I was two or three years old and my eye twitching because of the anxiety that was gripping me. And I have learned to live in this place called worry, and at times to even embrace it like a warm blanket. I find my place of residence in this place called worry, and what that leads me to do is try to control everything around me. Now, I don't try to control people, at least I don't think I do. I may be blind to that. But what I try to control is me. Me and the impersonal things that surround me. Putting in enough safety valves, escape hatches, defenses and bolsterings, Enough things in place so that when the inevitabilities of life do come along, that let's face that we can't control. I am at least poised and prepared in such a way to circumvent it, to deflect it, or to keep it at bay. But any of you who have learned to live in this place, you, you know as well as I do that that. You can only do that for so long because sometimes the pressure is enough or enough stuff comes along that your defenses just can't handle any more. And so what comes bursting out of the rivets and the seams that you think you have in place is all I can describe is like, I think it's unresolved anger. Some kind of unresolved anger that I've never really put to rest in the most strange times and for the most innocuous of reasons will just come bursting to the surface in strange kinds of ways. And those who live around me are often caught in the blast radius. You ever been around someone like that? Welcome to me. You know, and I think about this anger sometimes. And I think it finds its root in unforgiveness. That I think, while I have sometimes difficulty pinpointing the who's or the what's, there are areas in my life where unforgiveness has been left unresolved. And the result is that it has taken root, it has grown strong, it has galvanized 
and started to cover over and weed its way into my soul in various kinds of ways. Now add to that this. I've always, as long as I can remember anyway, been, I'm going to use the word gifted with something. But like a lot of gifts, it can also be a curse. I can see the future. And I don't mean that as weird as it sounds. I'm not reading palms on the weekends. I can't tell you what Powerball is going to be, and I don't know if she's going to ask you out, okay? But I can see what something can be very clearly. I can see what the future can be like, and very simply and very easy, what it will take to get there. Which means I am often far more content with living in the future than living right here. And it becomes so frustrating to me when other people can't see what I see because it seems so obvious. How can you not see? And so this impatience grabs me because of their inability, at least as I perceive, to know what's out there where I would rather be. Keep in mind and add to this that I'm the kind of person where the best conversations I have in this world are with myself rather than the people that God has brought into my life and the people that I love. I love talking to me. I am my best friend, and I am fascinated by me. <laughs> you know, solitary confinement, they, they, you know, they call this a punishment. Oh my gosh, it's a gift. I could think of nothing more wonderful this world than being locked in a dark hole with me? To be able to talk and spend a week alone with me? It's fascinating, which means that when I talk to other people, what they don't realize and what I forget is I've often accelerated the conversation that I've had 19 conversations ahead and I'm already there and I can't understand that when I'm talking to them again, why they aren't there. I've left them behind and wonder where they are. And the impatience and frustration that, that it causes me and, 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 and comes out of me, I mean, I, I feel sorry for people who aren't me. I want to read you a passage here today. And I'm going to read it because I don't have it memorized. And I don't have it memorized because I really don't care about what it has to say. So listen to what Paul writes. Now, now, I need to preface this by saying, I have read this passage more times at more weddings than I can ever imagine. The amount of times that I've repeated this, I, I, I should be able to do this on autopilot right now, but I don't care. You know, and, and those of you here who are married or who have been married, can I, you know, anyone here married or been married? 
okay, this was red at your wedding. You picked it because you thought you were unique and it was special. No, it's not. Uh, All right? It's Colossians 3.14. Here's what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and some other schlock. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Ah, isn't that sweet? (laughs) Who wants to clothe themselves with patience when impatience fits so much better? Impatience for me is like that favorite pair of pants. You know what I mean? It's like you open your closet and you have these various pairs of pants and you know you can wear that pair and that it might even be more appropriate to the occasion. But this pair fits just so nice. It feels so good. You might not have even washed them for seven days, but you're still pulling. You know what I mean, right? That's me. The fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I can tell you that far more often the fruit of my Spirit is things like anger, frustration, discontentment. And an austere taskmaster I invite to come inside to whip me on task who guises himself in the name of of self-control. You know, my, uh, my kids, um, well, they like to make fun of me. And this, this has been the recent way that it's surfaced. By the way, another one of my weaknesses is that I like to use my families in public settings as analogies without asking their permission. Um, but they said I could use this today. It kind of goes like this. And, and They say I don't do it right. Uh, Ben, go do the dishes. Uh, okay, this is what they walk around and do to me. Dad, uh, I'm dad. Riley, go pull the weeds. Uh, all right? I'm dad. Ben, have you watched TV all day? Uh, all right? I'm dad. Uh, 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 okay, now, I cannot, I, I have no memory, I am not lying, of ever in my entire life, until this has come up, of ever going, uh, <laughs> and I can prove to you that I don't do it, because when I ask my kids how to do it, and I try to do it, they go, Dad, you're not doing it right. But you know what I do? I project it. I might not go, uh, but I project it. I project that feeling, that state of being, that, that emotional response, that kind of, who, who in God's name wants to be around someone that makes you feel like, uh, 
uh, I mean, I, I don't know how they tolerate. How do you guys tolerate me? I mean, and, and this isn't even to go into staff. God, help these people. These people that have to report to me. And what I do in their soul, God, help that woman and that guy on that back wall. And the other, I mean, quit and save yourselves of the insanity, really. I, I mean, just to, to live in, uh, I mean, Keith got it right. He left. He went to another camp. I mean, right? Because God, God, that sucks. To live in that kind of state. Man, I haven't even started talking about money yet. You know, okay. Um, you know, they, Paul, Paul will write to Timothy. I forget if it's 1 Timothy 1 or 2, but whatever. Read them both. Um, <laughs> that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, there's a distortion that, that happens around this. A lot of people think that money is the root of all evil. No, no, money is not the root of all evil. But Paul writes that the love of money is... Now, I can stand here today and tell you that I think, and I am trying to be honest on this, I think it's a true statement that I don't love money. I don't think that I love it. But I really, really like it. I mean, I I, I like it. I kind of feel like I'm in a junior high relationship with money. You you know, you you fall for some girl, right? And, And you can't go to that girl and say, I love you or I fall in love with you because it's too soon and it makes it too weird and you will just be judged in that place. Believe me, I've learned this firsthand, okay? So, so what do you use? You find, you find acceptable substitute terms. I like you. I got a crush on you. I don't even know what people say today. I mean, I'm from the 80s, all right? But those of you in the 80s, you with me, right? You, you know what I mean? And I can ha- tell you here today that I like money. And I would like to date it. Um, and if it asked me to move in, yeah, I probably would. All right? And the reason I like it, it's not because I'm materialistic. I don't think that I am. Um, I, 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 my greatest dream is to live like a Spartan, you know, fight all day and have nothing, right? It's just, that sounds amazing to me. Houses are meant to be empty, except maybe for piles of books. Okay, that, that's the exception. But, but beyond that, it, it, see, it's not that. It's not the pleasure factor. It's not status for me either. I don't really care if I'm broke or rich in someone else's eyes, and I think people that, that find their status and money are kind of laughable. No, it's something different for me. It's the control that it gives me over me over my destiny, over my future. It's the options that it creates. It's the freedom and autonomy that it allows me. And then I have these moments and I wake up and I go, dear God, I have become my dad. All right? Have you had this moment yet in your life where you've come to self-realization and you go, dear God, I've become her. Right? If not, that's okay. When you hit your 40s, you will. All right? And, I mean, it, it can just go on from here. I find that my relationship with God is often lukewarm, if not cold, that, that a lot of times I just don't care that much. That I would rather learn and talk about God than spend time with him. 
that my conversations with him are as forced as they often become with my family and friends doing my duty or expediting information as opposed to intimate connection and joy shared living. The medievals had a word for it. It's called acedia. It means dryness of spirit, and I know that eighth deadly sin so well. And I think about faith and how faith, by, by some base definition, means stepping out of comfort zones and taking leaps. It's about challenge and, and, and going over the horizon, and, and I know that I just choose to live comfortably operating at a safe 60% of my potential and what God is calling me to be. These are just some of my weaknesses, and they're just scratching the surface. And I could tell you a whole lot more. And, you know, the irony of this is there's nothing that I could tell you today that would, like, get me defrocked from ministry. There's nothing that I could tell you today that would land me in jail. There's nothing that I could tell you today that would fit in the definition of our synodical policy of gross, unrepentant sin. And I'm here to tell you today that that's what makes it all the more deadly. Because it is socially acceptable kind of stuff and allows me to deal with the muck and the mire and the, as Paul would put it, skybola, you figure out the translation, that lives in my soul and play with it like a toy and treat it like a doll. Now, why am I telling you all this today? You know, the point of this is not like some, you know, it's like, okay, Jerry Springer comes to FOF. It's not true confessions time. It's not like I'm coming out of the closet with you of all my secret sins. I'm not looking for, ooh, you know, therapy session. That felt good. I just had to get that one off my chest, right? The reason I'm sharing this with you today is because I'm trying to model something for you and teach you something what it means to follow Jesus is to come face to face with the skybola of my soul. What it means for David Gadini to follow Jesus in 2018 is to look at that stuff square in the face and do something about it. And what it means to do something about it is this to admit it, to acknowledge it, and call it what it is, to repent of it before God and before the people whom I've hurt and have suffered in the fallout of the evil of my soul. to ask God's forgiveness. And theirs as well, where appropriate and necessary. And to give it to him. And what I mean by giving it to him is not just saying, I don't want to carry the burden at all. No, no, no. It's something far more than that to say, I won't live that way anymore. And in that place to seek a different way with God, a new way, 
to ask him to work on my soul to transform me and commit myself to radical obedience. And in that process to learn the best sin management practices that I can as I wait for God to sanctify me and transform me more and more to seek people to hold me accountable, to help me on the path, and to start the process over again each time that I fall and fail. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus in 2018. It is the exact same thing it's meant to follow Jesus in 2017 and 2016 and 15 and 14 and 13. And it is the exact same thing that it is going to mean to follow Jesus in 2019 and 20 and 21 and 22 because this is fundamentally above all things what is most important in what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus. You know, there's some of you here today who, who aren't Christian. You, you don't, some of you don't claim to be Christian. You don't call yourself Christian. And I'm sharing this with you today to give you an insight of what the Christian life fundamentally looks like. See, I don't want to speak for you, but I found that in my experience, I found that there's a lot of people who, who aren't Christian or who are no longer Christian who have adopted a set of misconceptions about what Christianity is or is supposed to be about, that, that Christianity is, is either a set of political platforms or a, a certain set of morality where, where this is okay, but this is, isn't, and, and why, I'm not really sure, but, but it's about that. Or that somehow it's about being better than everyone else. So maybe you're ahead on God's curve. If you've bought into this, or this is your starting point for what you think Christianity is, I just want to encourage you today, I think you've gotten it wrong. Because as I read the Bible and as I look at the way of Jesus, what I see Christianity being about is people coming to terms not with the evil that is out there as much as with the evil that is right in here. And admitting it and acknowledging it and calling it what it is and bringing it to a God who rightly judges the horrible things we've become but reaches out to us with acceptance and love no matter what. Saying, come here. I love you. And I know. I forgive you. And I want to show you a different and a better way and to meet Jesus in that place and turn our lives over to him and say, Lord, have your way with me. 
I also want to talk to those of you here today who call yourselves Christian, you know, who claim to be. If you weren't doing this, you know, this process I talked about of coming to terms with what's in your own soul, the evil that resides in here, your sin, your weaknesses, admitting it, acknowledging it, confessing it to God, repenting of it, asking his forgiveness, and seeking with radical obedience that newness of transformed life and transforming life in him. If you're not doing that, well, okay, now you know another point of weakness in your life. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Because if you're not willing to do that, may I ask, please, stop calling yourself a Christian. Because you're just deceiving yourselves. And worse, confusing those who aren't Christian, who are trying to figure out what the way of Jesus is supposed to look like. But to those of you who are willing to meet God in that place, to come to terms with the evil that lives deep within and comes bubbling out in all kinds of ways, those of you who are willing to acknowledge it, own it, repent of it, seek God's forgiveness in his new way in it. I'm here to tell you God will meet you in that place. God will meet you in that place. And what you're going to find is that in that place, God is the one who is going to do the heavy lifting. I want to read you a passage. It comes from Philippians chapter 2. This is what, what Paul says. He writes, Continue to work out your salvation. Work this out. Figure it out. Work it out. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling? Yeah. With fear and trembling over just how horrific your sin actually is. But without missing a beat, without a period, Paul goes on. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Let me read that again. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God will meet you in that place, and God will do the heavy lifting. As you sit there and begin the process of moving the furniture of your soul you will find that God is going to take the heavy end. I love how the New Living Translation puts this. Let me, let me just read to you its, its way. It, it says this. Be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. 
For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. For those of you who are not Christian, this is what the way of Jesus is about and what it means to follow Jesus in 2018. For those of you who are Christian, this is what the way of Jesus is about and what it means to follow Jesus in 2018. You know, before we close this today, I'd like to speak to just two more groups of you. See, whenever these subjects of sin and taking the hard look inside come up, there are those of us who have kind of come through it. We call ourselves Christian. We've repented of it. But the reality is, when we think about it, it's still kind of a, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We still look back at our sin as some kind of glory days. We've since repented of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. But the reality is we like that it was a part of our past. We find our identity, and it's still, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah. If you find yourself in that place with your sin, can I just submit to you that I don't think you're taking your sin seriously enough yet? not fully realizing what it is, what it's doing to you, to your relationship with God, to people that you love. And then I want to talk about the other side, the, the, the equal and opposite people here. Those of you that when we bring up these subjects of sin, we talk about taking the look inside and, and your response is, oh, I'm such a terrible person. How could God ever love me? I'm so bad. Oh, how could, oh, I'm terrible. And you wallow in your own filth and self-pity. Raise up your head, child of God. And get out of your skybola. Raise your head, Raise your head and start looking to the one who wants to meet you in that place and walking a new way with him instead of loving your angst instead. This is what it's going to look like, I hope, for me. This third way that Jesus invites us to in 2018. I guess the only pertinent question that I can honestly think to ask to land this plane is this. In 2018, what are you going to do? Um, band, you can come up. And uh, while they do, if you would, I just want to invite you to rise. Stand.
you know, here at FOF, those of you who have been with us some time, you know we, we have this practice. We like to um, enter in this time of confession of repentance before God. And the reality is, I think, for, for many of us, most of the time, it's something half-hearted, if hearted at all. Yeah, I just want you to kind of interface for a moment with this prayer on the screen. It's stock, it's rote. We say it a lot. We actually kind of do that intentionally because the hope is that by knowing it, we're not like kind of stumbling through the words and going, what's the next sentence? And we can actually kind of engage in that place. But you know, if you've said it more than four times, you know what the danger is. It's called autopilot. Uh, you know, a hard thing about a talk like this is you come in, the day is beautiful, it's summer, it's the, the final days of summer vacation, we're in a good mood, and then someone lays like the sin talk on you, and you don't downshift all the time that fast. So to ask you to come into a place of deep and contrite confession can feel forced, like I'm throwing you from fifth gear into first, and maybe I am. And I don't know what to tell you about that. But to the degree that you're able, if you want and if you're willing, um, meet God in this place today. I'm just going to give you kind of 60 seconds, and even if you know it, I just want to invite you, just kind of soak through the words for about a minute here. And you know, meet God there, and then we'll pray it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Renew us. Lead us. So that we may delight in your will. That we may walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. I want to read um, one more to you here. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. says this, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God is inviting himself into that place of sin in your life. And in that place offers to take all of the muck and mire and evil of your soul and put it on his son and give you a new way, a better way, his son's way instead. I hope you'll meet him there today.